Welcome to Movie Maniacs. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. Hello, everybody, and uh, getting ready for the uh, new year. This is Chuck Curry along with side my co-host, Kenny B, filling in once again for Mike Rags on a weekly podcast and our weekly radio spot on WOWOWO, Fort Wayne, Indiana. And also, Ken, we are heard on WXPM Cool 98.5 in Phoenixville. But yes, Kathy Bates, Bates still has him tied down. I'm sorry. I hope you had a good Christmas. You can to the audience. This week's program, we're going to do a top 10 movies that we would like to see and experience back again on the big screen. Or if we have the ability to take a DeLorean back in time and watch it the day it came out with a big audience in a theater. And we're also going to do sort of a preview of some of the films, bigger films, uh, coming into theaters uh, for 2023 from January up until June. So how are you, Ken? I am fine. I'm doing my typical uh, after Christmas stuff of hanging pictures and cleaning up cat vomit. But other than that, it's a good day. Very good. Did, did you watch, did you, uh, before I bounce into what I might have uh, watched, I actually went to see two movies in the theater back to back over a two-day period, which is, I've got to be Honest and full disclosure, that's the first time I've seen two movies in a row back-to-back in a movie theater in a little bit of time. I have to say that it was quite enjoyable, just regardless of my opinion maybe of these two films that I saw, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But uh, the fact that I actually walked into a theater and and, and watched uh, and immersed myself in a dark room watching a movie on the big screen, I got to tell you, pretty cool experience. And... uh, Going to get back into the groove, especially going into 2023. Did you get a chance to see anything over the holidays you want to mention? I did not get to see anything in the movies. I am going to go see uh, Puss in Boots on Friday, believe it or not, without any without any grandchildren either. I just I just love that character. Uh, but I did see Glass Onion, you know, The Knives Out uh, okay, okay. when it came came on the Netflix, and uh-huh. I got to ask. Think? What is the why was why were people excited about it? I thought it was one of the first of all, I, I the he's got to get rid of that accent. I I guess he's trying to do a southern accent, but uh Craig was terrible. Daniel Craig, you're talking, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, and uh the whole movie I thought was I'm I didn't really um, I don't think it would have been doing very well if it had been in the theaters for a month, but that's just me. <laughs> You know, it's interesting because the critics seem to really dig this film a lot, but I read some polarizing reaction among the general populace who have watched this now on uh, Netflix. I'm going to go check it out uh, on Netflix this week. I'll let you know my opinion of it next week. So, okay, I actually saw three films in a theater. Uh, First, we'll go to Avatar, Way of Water, which has been dominating the multiplexes over the last two weeks. Films done right around $300 million domestically and worldwide totals a couple dollars short of the $1 billion mark. Now, Disney stock initially took sort of a hit because the initial weekend they said wasn't uh, up to uh, its extremely high bar. But this movie's made a billion dollars in a couple weeks. It has a whole week of this week, which is Christmas to New Year's, which historically has been a very big week for movies in general. Now, the final product I watched, and I got to say that, yes, there's no doubt, and I liked, I, I, I liked the movie. It's three hours and ten minutes, but 
technically this movie is brilliant i'll give them that and and the i can only imagine the storyboarding and the game planning what went in to do this movie on a sh- on a scene by scene basis uh and the technology in- involved doing this um I- i'll give i'll give them that it, it, that from that part the movie is a home run having said that i still think when i look back and i harken back to the bio of james uh, Cameron, who did Terminator 1 and 2, Aliens, which is one of the greatest movies of all time, uh, The Abyss, a movie I love, True Lies, a tremendously entertaining Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, um, Titanic, uh, one of the, probably, in my opinion, the best movie released in the last, uh, since actually 97 when that movie came out. I still say to myself, why is he so ingrained in this world and the technology and what he believes is game-changing in terms of the theater-going experience. I don't see it that way because I still think at the end of the day, Ken, a movie at the end of the day is about being immersed in the story. And for me, it's about human actors. Uh, and I know they used human actors and they superimposed the CGI technology, however they did it. And I respect it. I do. But um, I just rather I rather watch Titanic and take a time machine back to 1997 watch that film in a theater over Avatar Way of Water. Having said that, I, I thought it was enjoyable. I commend the technology and the work and the effort that went into it. And I got to tell you, I do hope it makes a lot of money because the industry needs it. Uh, and the theater, the theater chain certainly needed. So I give Avatar Way of Water a 7.5 out of uh, 10. I also got a chance to see Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, which is uh, basically an autobiographical look at Spielberg's childhood. And that's really what this movie is about. It is about his childhood and his initial development and his love of film. Um, Actually, his parents in the movie in the beginning of the film took him to see the greatest show on earth with Charlton Heston, and he got the bug of, boy, I would love to do that. It explores basically his coming of age, his first uh, his, his school experience, the fact that he was he was Jewish and he had to deal with anti-Semitism, and it does deal with the fractured relationship of his of his mother and his father. And his mother clearly was a very quirky woman, as as portrayed in this movie by Michelle Williams. I did like her performance in Paul Dano, and for the most part, I enjoyed it. Having said that, at a two hour and thirty five minute running time, Ken, this movie needed, and I mean needed, to shave. 20 minutes off its middle section to tighten it up overall and i couldn't help when the movie was coming to a conclusion because i really did like its last 30 minutes i wanted to see spielberg tell a story of him getting the job uh directing jaws close encounters and then raiders of the lost ark his early bit his early stuff in the 70s and then 19 uh, 1980 with, with with Raiders to see him become a glorified mega director and what would ultimately be become the greatest director of our generation, I believe. I so wanted to see that, but that's not what this movie is. Having said that, um, I'll give it a 6.5 out of uh, 10. I have tremendous ad- adoration for Steven Spielberg, and I did find the film uh, interesting, and for the most part, uh, pretty entertaining, but not uh, as good as it could have been if they shaved those 20 minutes out of the bit section. And then finally, went to see um, with my wife and daughter, uh, I Want to Dance with Somebody, the new Whitney Houston biopic. Uh, and I got to tell you, for the most part, I liked it. I, I did feel that the budget could a little could have been a little bit ho- higher. I felt you could feel when you were watching it, they shaved around the edges in terms of scope 
in this film, the actress who plays Whitney, 30-year-old uh, Naomi Aki, I think did a very nice job. Uh, good actress. Um, it pays homage to Whitney Houston's music. It did not sugarcoat her downfall, which was drug and alcohol addiction, although it doesn't really show graphically her doing this stuff on screen. It more than applies uh, that she was doing it, mentions it. It does dwell into a relationship and a marriage with Bobby Brown. I always thought he was solely responsible for her downfall, but according to this screenplay and, and the fact that her estate and, and, and family has backed this movie, uh, she really was responsible for her own actions, and that's really the way the movie plays out. He just was an integral part of a person she met that was toxic, that um, really spiraled her downfall. But a tremendous, great talent. My only caveat, Ken, and I'm just being honest, this actress is very good in this movie, but in terms of appearance, she's not strikingly as beautiful as the real Whitney Houston was. So I couldn't help but say that the way people reacted to her in this movie uh, would be a little bit differently than the way they probably reacted to the real Whitney Houston, who was absolutely striking in her in her physical uh, beauty. Uh, that's no knock on on Naomi, who's who did a great job and is a very attractive woman in her own part. But Whitney Houston was a very uh, energy, uh, just uh, she had a glow about her that very few do. But uh, so I would give this movie, I would give this movie, uh, I'll give it a seven point eight out of ten. If you're a Whitney Houston fan. I think it's well worth seeing. Having said that, uh, so far at least, it has not materialized at the box office. It's only done seven million in five days. Uh, that's nowhere near uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man, who were two big hits biopics from uh, very popular artists. And The Fableman's only done ten million in seven weeks in theaters, so that one has not uh, caught on. Uh, had all one of the boxes, box office news of interest, Babylon, the new Brad Pitt, Margaret Robbie movie about the decadence of uh, the initial uh, beginnings of Hollywood has uh, actually bombed just $4 million in its first three days, according to Variety and a few other trades. The film has to do about $250 million worldwide as its break-even point. It's not going to happen, so this will be a financial loss uh, for Paramount. Having said that, they did release... Uh, and, and financed Top Gun Maverick this year, which did a billion five. So, uh, you know, you win some, you lose some. That's what movie making is about. It's no slight of the final product itself, what a film does at the box office. I know a lot of trades, especially now with social media, really hammer home if something fails out of the gate. I, I report it because that's what we do on this program. But um, it appears the Avatar Way of the Water, huge, everything else. Uh, not so much. Uh, De uh, um, Deadly Night, which is a David Harbour, a Home Alone meets Die Hard Christmas movie. That movie's actually fared pretty well. It's done about $45 million at the box office here domestically, uh, off a $20 million budget. So worldwide, it's done over around 70 That one is profitable, but as a whole... Uh, some really good signs and some signs of people are still preconditioned to staying home to watch uh, streaming product. Ken, any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, if you look at it, I'm not going to worry about Avatar because expectations were too high, and maybe it, only, it might only do 1.8 billion rather than doing 2 billion. I take that. I'll take we're not, that. Yeah, we're not going to worry about that. They were down. They're they're lower in China than they expected to be. So. Yeah, it is what it is. But uh, everything else that you mentioned, everything else out during this period, is underperforming. Number two, number totally. two movie, number two movie last week was Puss in Boots. Yeah, 
I mean, it's funny if you watch. You know, it was interesting because I was watching. Uh, I was watching the football game on NBC on Sunday night, and the prime sponsor. I mean, every other commercial was to, was a new trailer to put some boots. So they they spent a lot of money uh, during that football game, and it got a bump the next day in theaters. And word of mouth on the film is good. I I do expect that film to do pretty well uh, at the box office this this week, which is which I said historically uh, it usually lifts uh, all the titles, all boats this this weekend. Having said that, we have certainly. In a brave new world where nothing is uh, nothing is the same as it uh, used to be. So we'll talk about that more next uh, week. Before we get on to our top ten movies that we uh, would love to see back on the big screen, uh, go back in movie history. This week in, in film history, December nineteenth, nineteen seventy six, a little movie that became a big uh, movie and a massive franchise going forward. Rocky uh, came out. In theaters, I actually remember Ken seeing Rocky at the Avenue Movie Theater in Brooklyn, New York. Not in its first run, probably in its uh, probably had to be out there at least uh, at least six months in, in theaters, popping around on thirty-five millimeter prints uh, in, in 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 my neighborhood of Brooklyn, where I grew up. And I remember when I saw this, how much I loved this film. I was really young uh, when I when I when I saw this movie, and. Um, I remember running home when it was over. I was so motivated to to actually work out and lift weights. It just it's 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 really just stimulated me. And that Bill Conti uh, theme song, uh, "Gotta Fly Now," pretty awesome. An iconic movie. Rocky came out this week in theaters, uh, December nineteenth, nineteen seventy six. Yeah, you have memories of Rocky. I, I have a strange memory of Rocky. I was supposed to see. Tell it. me. <clears throat> I was supposed to see it with my girlfriend, who became my first wife. Uh, wow, but, okay. But, just, how, how long is this story? It's not very long. But, okay, but uh, she used to go out with her father on Sundays, you know, the old uh, custody thing, and they ended up going to see Rocky. So uh, I didn't. I wasn't going to pull her to see it again. I don't think I saw it, Rocky, for about six months until I saw it in driving. Yeah, and here's the thing, you know, back then, back then, and I just, I, we've talked about me and Mike on the show, how this worked. Like in, this, in the 70s, 76, movies were shown probably mostly in single screen movie theaters and then drive-ins, right? So this is all 35 millimeter, 35 millimeter reels and 35 millimeter reels were time consuming and expensive for the studio. So let's just say in, in certain cities, there was, uh, there were say five or six or seven theaters, uh, which were within say, uh, five miles, four, four, I don't know, three, say three to five miles apart. So one theater, would get the 35 millimeter reel and they would show Rocky for a month or two months. And then that, that would dip, that would play out. And then they take that 35 millimeter reel and they, they ship it to uh, a theater three, four miles away. And that, and that theater in your neighborhood would, uh, would, would, would have it. Um, it was a very different world. And, but what that did is it built tremendous word of mouth. It built anticipation. And uh, those, those movies like Rocky played, well over a year, and I mean well over a year, sometimes two two years in in in, in theaters because uh, that's that's how many people wanted to see these films, and you didn't have uh, movies playing on um, thirty eight hundred screens, which we do now. I mean, actually, I stated last week on the program, Avatar: The Way of Water is on worldwide, Ken, worldwide fifty five thousand screens. Yeah, and the thing Think is, about that. they don't have anything else to put on. Is part of the problem. Plus. You need extra screens because of how long it is. 
But you know, you 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 come from the big city, and you know, went neighborhood uh-huh. to neighborhood. In a city like yeah. Scranton, we were 120,000 people at the time. We had right. five movie theaters. Only one theater would ever get a movie. And if it was good, it would just keep getting held over. And so it was the kind of thing where it was hit or miss which one would get it. But you would go to all five theaters, depending on what was playing in them. And you're right. Yeah. Uh, and it, But the difference is, when it played on that one theater in Scranton with probably five, six hundred, seven hundred seats, it's the same as playing a Cineplex in in you know ten theaters that hold True. fifty people, and that and that and I think it's something we can actually when we we can relate to when we talk about our to see list or the movies we'd love to see on the big screen. It was even much more of a movie experience because back then you're not talking about being filling the biggest theater in the multiplex that holds a hundred people. You were talking about five six hundred people in a theater. Yeah, I mean, like I give you an example. Uh, and, and me and Mike talk about this all the time because our greatest experience on the big screen was at the Ziegfeld in New York City in, uh, in, in June of, of 1993. But I remember going to the city a lot, New York City I'm talking about, and I, I, in, 19, in 1990 uh, when Edward Hands came out. And I remember getting on the train from Brooklyn, going into New York uh, and seeing Edward Hands. It was a Saturday afternoon at Christmas season. I think it was the week between uh, Christmas and at New Year's or before Christmas. And I, I always used to like to sit toward the back and I don't care how big the theater was. And to, to, to get there like 45 minutes before the showtime and to see the theater start to fill up. And, and I think the first time I saw Edward Cezanne's that Saturday uh, in an 1150 screen theater, it's probably about 500 people at least watching that movie. And um, it, it's just a, such a cool experience to, to, to sit in a single screen theater and have all those people watching uh, a film. And, they're, and they're obviously the reason they can't do that now is because uh, the real estate, you can't, be, it can't support itself on, on, on one screen because there's so many screens around the country that, um, you know, after the first weekend, you'd be basically playing the flies. And if you have to contract for two, two three, four weeks, um, It'd be a dead dormant uh, <laughs> model. So, but I do, I do remember those times, and, and I like that stuff uh, very much. Couple birthdays of interest. Big one as we speak. December 28, nineteen fifty-four. Denzel Washington turns sixty-eight years of age. In my opinion, I'd say one of the five greatest actors uh, for myself of, of of all time. Won two Oscars. First was for Glory back in nineteen eighty-nine, where he co-starred opposite Matthew Broderick. Second was uh, Training Day. Uh, in the early 2000s, great, uh, great performance, playing very different type of roles. He's been in six, if you count, Equalizer 3, which comes out in theaters this October. 61 feature films. I believe he started on the TV show St. Uh, El- Elsewhere. I could watch him read a phone book. I think he's that good. Uh, Crimson Tide, Going Mano y Mano with Gene Hackman, Malcolm X, an iconic movie, an iconic role. Uh, I love me some Denzel Washington. Much respect. Great talent. Very, very, very much. Uh, another birthday of interest I, I was looking at. Um, John Amos turns 83 years old uh, as we speak. Born same day as Denzel, December 28th. He was born 1939. Has been acting, has, has had an acting career since 1970. Uh, first two things I probably saw him on. One, he played Kunta Kinte in the ABC iconic miniseries Roots. Right. Uh, the older Kunta Kinte. I, I loved him. 
in that. I thought he was great. And obviously, Good Times, uh, Norman Lear, iconic sitcom that made Jimmy Walker a household name. He wound up leaving that show because uh, Jamie, he was sort of like uh, uh, bent out of shape that Jimmy Walker got all the thunder, all the applause and thunder after uh, a season or two. We wound up, wound up le- leaving. But uh, I love, I love Good Times. I still do in repeats. Uh, and he's been around for a long time. Was on the West Wing. Um, was in Die Hard Two. He, he was in Lockup with Sylvester Stallone coming to America. Uh, a lot of respect also for John Amos, a really good, talented actor. Yeah, and if he wanted to get even with uh, Jimmy Walker, he could go to his own commercial for Medicare supplements. He he, and 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 that's and he does and he does that straight, and you still let. I like Jimmy. Dino <laughs> Mike. I, 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 I got to tell you, I like Jimmy Walker. I, th- I thought he was, and he was good friends with David Letterman, actually. Uh, Jimmy Walker and appeared on the Tonight Show, but he was sort of a one-trick pony. I, I think, I think other than Good Times, and he might have did one, one, one. I think he did a, a feature film called The Fish Called Wanda. I know I'm trying to recollect, but uh, Jimmy Walker uh, uh, certainly a, a household name when Good Times aired in the 1970s. Okay, now we're going to bounce into our top ten. Here, here's the rules, Ken. This is top 10 movies we'd love to see in a movie theater or wish we could take a time machine and go back. Mine's mostly the time machine aspect. Time machine and watch this movie in the theater during its initial run and why. Uh, I'll let you start. You do your 10 through 6 and then I'll do mine. And I even uh, hamstrung myself even more. Now, now here's the thing. This doesn't have to be, like, these don't have to be big pop. No, they're, they're not. They're going to blow them up movies. It could be intimate movies, whatever you feel that would move you with an audience. Right, but I was going to say that I, I, I actually went took it from the point of view, not only am I taking the time machine, but okay. I'm, go, I'm going to the premiere. So I know wow, no. Okay. Big, what, do that, wear, <laughs> what do you wear? What do you wear? What do you wear? What do you wear to premiere? Who do you bring? Uh, well, I don't know. They're different years, so it would it would depend. <laughs> My, yeah, some of them I won't be wearing anything because I wasn't born yet. In fact, a lot of them I wasn't born yet. But the, my first one's from 1970. Okay. It's a movie about Inquisition and witch trials, and the movie was marked by its just total gore and sexuality oh, okay. and really? and torture. You're go there, okay. And because they gave you a barf bag. Oh, holy cow, you're bringing back memories. I remember this well. Want me to say the name of it? Sure. It's Mark of the Devil, It's right? Mark of the Devil, yeah. You had yep. to take a, holy you, cow. You, you had to take a barf bag in with you. I saw it in the theater, and I'm, I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm worried. You know what? I, I actually found a copy of that not too long ago. Today, it probably wouldn't be slasher enough for people. But at the, Really? Here's what, there's one scene, because I did see this movie, and I remember the barf, I remember the barf bag. I, I saw it. Uh, my parents always brought me when I could be four or five years old. They took me in to, to see anything, anything all rated, uh, board of this stuff. There was one scene in that movie. I remember like just off the top of my head where they made somebody sit on, uh, on, on like a thing of needles. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I don't know how that looks now, but back then it was pretty spooky to me. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, it was, it was very gory and the, the, they, we had a lot they taught of. It, they taught and feathered somebody in that movie too. They, right? they did. They did, and uh, yeah. it, it's full of injustice. But most of us went there because we got to see, you know, naked women on the screen. But that's different. Yeah. Because remember, I I was thirteen at the time, so okay, my, my I was sec- younger. I, I was much younger. But yeah, that, that's really 
I'm actually surprised you pulled that out of your bag. That's a good one. What else? That's the first one that popped my head, to tell you the truth. Okay. Second, second one's from 1973. It would be Charlton Heston and Edmund G. Rob- Edward G. Robinson. And I want to be there in the theater when you first hear, and this is a spoiler, folks. If you haven't seen the movie yet, turn away. If you haven't seen Solient Green, turn away. The first time you heard Solient Green is people. I want to see how the audience reacted. I actually did see this movie in a theater. I saw I did, I saw this movie at the Avenue Movie Theater in Brooklyn. I, I tell you, I like this movie a lot. And one of my all-time favorite scenes in the movie is is when uh, when when Charlton Heston goes to that uh, that that uh, facility, and Edward G. Robinson has made the commitment to euthanasia himself, right? And Dick Van Patten is the the person who 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 uh, is orchestrating this, and it's it's. It's, it's by your own free will, and this is how uh, they stay ira- helped eradicate a mass overpopulated populated culture. So Edward G. Robinson, who's extremely likable in this movie, is Charlton Heston's roommate, and actually Edward G. Robinson was sick at the time, and he passed away, actually, I think, within a couple months after filming this very scene. But when, when, when they're playing that beautiful Beethoven music, and he's looking at these images on screen of a peaceful nature, and Charlton Heston is telling Dick, Dick Van Patten to turn on the audio. He wants to, this is very, that's very powerful stuff, Ken. Very yeah, good. Great, great movie. And again, it's, you want to be there the first time, not knowing how it's going to end. Remember my daughter told me that he's dead when I went to see Six Stents, So she ruined that for me. Now, and, I would, and I agree. I, I think people walking out into the lobby when that movie was over, that had to be a, a really interesting thought provoking conversation. There's a lot of thought provoking conversation, conversation to be had with uh, Soil and Green. And the, my number eight movie I saw in the movie theater in 1968, it starred uh, Linda Harrison as Nova. I only mentioned Linda Harrison as Nova because in doing my research, I realized she was born in Berlin, Maryland, where I do my uh, broadcasting from. So she was a local. Um, you probably know Charlton Heston, uh, uh, Roddy McDowell, and Kim Hunter better than you do uh, Linda Harrison. But it was Planet of the Apes. And I'll tell you something. I didn't expect... Again, turn your head if you haven't seen the movie. I didn't expect Damn You, Damn You All to Hell and seeing the Statue of Liberty. That was such a powerful moment. And I saw it in a theater with probably 600 people. Wow, that's really cool. What theater did you see it in where? I would have seen that in the Comerford Theater in Scranton. Yeah, I, uh, okay, I have a Planet Ace movie on my list, but it's not that one. And I did it for a different reason. But I got to tell you, I remember seeing this, not in its initial release, but in re-release, and it still was packing him in. Planet is still one of the most thought-provoking movies ever produced. And the I still say to myself, the, the shot when the spaceship is in the water, right, in the beginning, when it crash lands, which is until we don't know at the end, Earth, I still say to myself, how did they shoot that? How did they shoot that scene? How did they shoot that scene? It still perplexes me. Everything practical. Uh... Iconic movie, great pick. What, what else you got? Num- number seven. Uh, now, this one I picked because of Madeline LeBeau. You might not realize Madeline LeBeau was 18 and 19 while she was filming this movie. It was 1942. Of course, Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman were the stars. But Madeline LeBeau plays Yvonne, the girl who, when the Germans start um, playing the German song, Something on the Rhine, then, then uh, Victor Laszlo goes up to the band and says, play the Marseillaise, and Rick says, play it. The uh, the girl who's playing the guitar, who's crying, is Ms. Madeleine LeBeau. Now, she's a teenager. She is a refugee from France. 
And you're sitting in a movie theater in 1942, about a year after Pearl Harbor's been bombed. We're still in the quiet war as far as Europe. We are fighting over in, uh, in Asia. And just the raw emotion of that movie and that scene, I, to me, that is one of the most iconic scenes in movies. And I would have... I would have loved to see it when it first happened and be in the 1942, uh, you know, be in 1942 and everything going around with it, around it. And also having seen Casablanca on a huge screen now and the big screen at Pocono Cinema, huge screen over in London. When you see that with a, with a group, there's a lot of humor in that movie that you usually don't pick up when you're, when you're seeing it by yourself. But I would love, I'd love to see that just for the powerful emotions of that during the, during the war. That was number seven. Number six, uh, 1998, Tom Hanks, Matt Damon. Just just give me the opening sequence of Private Ryan. I saw it a little bit after it opened, but I can remember people saying that that my secretary had gone to see it with her father. He had to leave the theater because he said, because he's a veteran, he said that opening scene was too real. The Normandy scene, yeah. The Normandy scene. Yes, it's it's a it's a it's a tremendous sequence. It's and obviously uh, you realize the ultimate. Talk about the ultimate sacrifice. I mean those 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 men who got who got off that harbor. Uh, obviously, most of them had to realize that uh, their odds of survival were not uh, very good. That isn't a that is a great movie. And, and I remember seeing that in a the theater. Um, very powerful and. It's playability. That movie's still one of the most popular movies uh, since its re- release. Uh, especially when that, when that comes on, you're changing the channels, and that's on cable. That's one of those movies that absolutely hooks you. And it, it sort of makes you realize in the aftermath and the rubble and the devastation of, uh, of what happened uh, in, the, in the Harvey Weinstein's horrible down, downfall, self-inflicted, uh, disgusting human being the fact that shakespeare in love which was a weinstein miramax release won the oscar for best picture over ryan uh to this day is still uh a horrible injustice in the in the annals of uh film is what it is though absolutely okay hey, good 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 uh, 10 through 6 ken here's my my number 10 I went with uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes from 1970 because I would love to go back at a time capsule and re-experience that second half of that film with a sold-out audience, which, which they did something you don't see in film at all, meaning taking the lead character from the original, Charlton Heston's Taylor, and Heston didn't want to come back for the sequel, but agreed to do it because it was so important in his career, the first film, and he owed to the producer to do this, comes back in a supporting role as Taylor in this movie, James Franciscus plays the lead. And when they when they meet for the first time in this film in the third act, I, to me, it's just one of the most interesting things in, in film history. Now, the first half of this film is very pedestrian, but the second half, and I've talked to this, I've talked about this to Mike on this program, the second half of Beneath the Planet for me is one of the most interesting, uh, interesting genre pieces I've ever seen in a movie. They take daring chances. Uh, it's, it's, they take shots at religion. They take shots at conservatism. Uh, there's all sorts of metaphors in the in these original five movies. But the second half of this movie, where Heston and Francisca, Francisca uh, James Franciscus meet and merge and and fight fight the apes, and then they have the mind control people 
of these under these mutants have mind control and making them battle against each other. I, I just I just find it fascinating, and it's so downbeat. I mean, they kill Nova off, and then they killed Francisco's off, and then Heston gets killed off, and the world blows up. Movies don't get more downbeat. That was a G-rated movie back in 1970. I think one of the most interesting sequels ever made, but I would love to sit in the theater and watch this with a sold-out audience for that second half of that film. Number nine, let's go back to 1984. I'd love to re-experience Beverly Hills Cop with a sold-out audience opening week in the theater. One of the great times I've ever had in the theater. Soon as multiple, like eight or nine times. Came out originally December 5th, 1984. Eddie Murphy, never better. Supporting cast, Judge Reinhold, John Aston, uh, uh, Bronson Pinchot. So, so good. This movie is funny, it's entertaining, it's exciting, and the audience ate this up, laughed, howled, screamed, clapped. It was all air. That's my number nine. Number eight, I'm going to go more intimate. The Shootist with John Wayne from 1976, original air date, uh, movie release, August 20th, 1976. To me, John Wayne's last film, and for me, his best film. I just watched this actually, Ken, the other day on my big screen TV, on my ice cream parlor, and I had to tell you, there's something very special about this movie. Uh, Wayne's performance, the fact that he he was he he was not in good health, the fact that his character uh, goes out the way he wanted to. Um, Ron Howard, great in this movie. Lauren Bacall, awesome in this movie. Scatman Crothers, but this is the John Wayne show. Poetic, beautiful, uh, moving, emotional. It's all there, and I would love to sit in the theater and watch this with a. Uh, fan of, 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 of Wayne's crowd. So that's my number eight. Number seven, talk about audience participation movies. Boy, would I love to go back to 1974 and watch The Longest Yard with Burt Reynolds on a big screen with a crowd because this is one of the first fortes in where audiences would yell back at a movie screen. I didn't see it in theaters, but this is what I heard. Funny, good screenplay, Reynolds at the top of his game. And as me and Mike always say, if Burt Reynolds has a good toupee, in a movie, it's usually a good movie. And this was a terrific entertainment. Number seven for me, The Longest Yard. Number six, this movie came out December 26th, the day after Christmas, 1973. And boy, oh boy, just for its iconic cultural status, I would love to take a time machine and go back and see The Exorcist in New York City with a sold-out audience, lines around the block. Uh, think about this, Ken. The Exorcist came out the day after Christmas and had people lined up around city blocks, fainting, walking out of the theater disturbed, some throwing up. People, I knew, I knew, I was young because I didn't see this in a movie theater, but I knew people in my neighborhood, I've told this story on the air with Mike before, that had to see psychiatrists, these were teenagers who saw this, parents took them to see this movie, had to see psychiatrists, it was that... Uh, affecting on their mind because they weren't exposed to what we are now. So this really hit them hard. Uh, and if you grew up Catholic, The Exorcist is, is a wallop of an emotional experience. So just for the whole cultural aspect of everything surrounding this film and its ultimate storytelling greatness, I'll go with The Exorcist as my number six. All right. Was that, was that six? Did you do five? That, 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 is, that, is, uh, that is my six. So, number 10 was Beneath the Planet Eves. Number 9, Beverly Hills Cop. Number 8, The Shootist. Number 7, The Longest Yard. And number 6, The Exorcist. Okay, and, and I actually did see Beneath the Planet of the Apes and The Longest Yard in the theater right after they first came out. It was cool. a great... Both were great experiences. I, I do remember that. 
Uh, and, the, you know, one thing about, you mentioned The Longest Yard. One of the reasons why that is great in the theater is comedies are much better in a theater. I agree. And, and that's where, that's my number, my number five. I, and I messed up counting again, and I left one that's off the list here. So I, my, my, tie, my tie for number five, because it's going to represent the comedies, is I didn't get to see Home Alone in the theater, because as I told you last week, they wouldn't let my children in in England because they weren't old enough, despite being with their parents. So I've only seen that on television. I would love to see that in the theater because you laugh a lot more, especially the slapstick kind of comedy they have. And, of course, my favorite from 1974, which I saw in the theater but wasn't packed. I want to see it packed. I want to see it packed with liberals just just for the, the heck of it. And, of course, that's, that's Blazing Saddles. Those are movies that if you see them on television, it, it isn't the same as seeing them with a big group of people. No. Well, you know, here's the thing. Let's talk Blazing Saddles for a second. Uh, my parents, when I was very little, took me to see Blazing Saddles in the movie theater. And uh, people were howling with laughter. It's a great, it's not only a very funny, but it's a great script. And I, I love that whole ending when they go into the movie theater and they're watching this. I was like, that's just so inspired. But I think if you got an audience today with a diverse group of people that sat in a the theater with watching Blazing Saddles in 2022, I think the reaction would be, they would laugh, and even if they didn't want to laugh, they would laugh. And at the end of the day, you know, the political correctness of the culture we live in is what it is. I mean, I don't like a lot of it. I certainly don't. I'm not a big fan of woke. Uh, there's some merit. There's always kernels of merit in everything, but a tidal wave of being told what to think and how to laugh and who to laugh at. Um, I don't accept that. Um, but Blazing Saddles is an iconic movie, whether it's 74 or 2022. But, but as a stand-up comedian, I can tell you that, yeah, people would laugh, but by, mm-hmm. by the probably about the 30-minute mark, you'd probably have half your audience leave. Probably, because they just, yeah, I, I, would, I would agree. I mean, it's certainly... They, they, let's put it this way: that movie could not get produced now. There's no way. First of all, there's, there's not. There's no way they're going to use the N word in a feature film to the extent that they used it in that movie. We all, all understand what Brooks was trying to do. He's trying to get people realized the same as Norman Lear and all the family that certain things are stupid. You shouldn't do them. Uh, you shouldn't say them. That's the whole. It's, it's a reverse psychology sense of humor and. Uh, People who know, know, and that's the way it uh, was. My number five, uh, I would love to sit in a theater in 1978 at a midnight show on a Saturday with a crowd and watch George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead, which I always say is gone with the wind of horror films. Uh, Very thought-provoking, deals with uh, the social standard, uh, deals with human behavior, Great zombie movie, great characters, great direction, shot on a budget of a little right around a million dollars at the Monroeville Mall in Pennsylvania. One of the great settings of uh, any movie. There's just something special, unique about this film that has a certain amount of movie magic that you can't you can't put on paper. There's just intangibles that took over here that makes this movie, in my opinion, a masterpiece. And I would love to watch this. With a big crowd in 1978, George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead, one of my all-time, and I mean all-time favorite movies. All right, well, this is the la- I'm, I'm now going to be before 1940 for my top four. But a 19- wow, okay. 1936, Irene Dunn and Alan Jones 
Uh, now, let me ask a question. Does yeah. this time machine have – how much gas does this time it's, machine it's, need it's, to get it's, back there? It's got a lot. It, it has a lot. Okay, thank you. I, I want to make sure. Uh, because, you know, back then, it, it, these days, you know, by the time a movie, a musical makes it onto the big screen, you've seen it. You've, you've heard it. You've heard the music. You've, you've seen it on television. You know, we all know, you know, Color Purple's been around in the touring theaters. It's coming out in the movies next year. Well, yeah, Showboat had been in the theater in 1927, but I wouldn't have seen it in the theater in 1927 because I wouldn't have gotten New York City to see it. I want to be there with the crowd, and I want to be there with the first time they hear Paul Robeson sing Old Man River. And I, again, another one of these movies that uses the N-word and tries to fight racial injustice. I want to be there for Showboat because it was a groundbreaking musical movie and actually the first hyper successful movie musical and i would have loved to have seen it when it was in its first run very cool uh so that's your number four four, correct? four yep okay good pick my number four uh i'm gonna go back to 1963 love to see would have loved to see this uh in a, in a in a big theater and i'm sure this played to big theater audiences it's a mad 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 world from 1963 spencer tracy uh holds the fort down as a straight man opposite milton burrell sid caesar jonathan winters ethel merman uh mickey rooney mad chase for three hundred fifty thousand dollars on the big w this movie has always fascinated me i, I think the concept is unique the star power, uh, the amount of people they got into this one movie directed by Stanley Kramer. It's a long movie. I love every minute of it. You may not be hysterical funny for every frame, but it is highly enjoyable. And I have to believe this entertainment entertained the masses something fierce back in 1963. And to see Ethel Merman slip on a banana peel at the end, <laughs> watching this movie, say then with 500 plus people, had to be a pretty cool experience. So that's my uh, number four. I'm not a big fan of subtitles, and sometimes my vision isn't uh, so good if I don't have the right glasses with me. So I want to go back to 1927, and I don't have to read subtitles, because I'm going to go see Al Jolson in The Jazz Singer, the first feature-length movie with synchronized dialogue. Wow. What does that mean? It means that it had sound, that actually the lips and the sound went together. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank goodness they, they invented that, huh? Well, be, you know, before that, they were all. They, it, it killed. It killed the silent movie industry pretty much. Yeah, it, it, well, I, that and I think that was a good thing. That I think was a uh, was was a good was a good. But can thing. you imagine what? Anytime, anytime I watch a silent, I don't know. It's just it's just not easy to get. But can into. you imagine if you've seen silent movies and now you where they have the piano player in the theater playing along with it? And now you go and you see a movie with the sound. That must have been really. Uh, yeah, that was groundbreaking. I would agree. My number three, uh, whether it's back in 1975 or now, which I've done many revivals of this with good crowds, and I still think that this is uh, the most – this is the movie. If I had to say to anybody, what movie would you want other people to see in a movie theater with a big crowd, it would be Jaws. And uh, I just think it's a perfect a Spielberg movie from beginning to end, characterization, script, uh, Everything about it is perfectly and is also super uh, intense and exciting. Um, some of the best experiences I've ever had in a movie theater would be watching this movie with people. Uh, so Jaws, back on the big screen, whether it's 75 or five minutes from now, Jaws 1975. Well, I'm going to take the uh, time machine back to 1939 and I'm going to wait for a few weeks 
so I can go see uh, when it opens on January 17th of 1940, Clark Gable and Vivian Lee, and of course Hattie McDaniel won a, an Academy Award with Gone with the Wind. And the reason why I want to see that in this back there with the day it opens is it's going to be the first mega hit movie filmed entirely in color. And probably wow. maybe, I mean, we, all, we, we always call it the dawn of the living dead of, of historical movies, but, <laughs> but it, it, might, it might be the greatest movie ever filmed entirely in color because Casablanca is in black and white. Well, listen, I, I mean, it clearly is one of the most important movies ever made. Pound for pound, we always talk about, like, and we start the show with Avatar Way of Water has made almost a billion dollars worldwide. But in, in, in 1939, the price of a ticket to see this movie, Gone with the Wind, was what? A dime? A nickel? Yeah, it, it's, uh, it still sold the most tickets of any movie in the theater right. ever. More yeah. people have seen Gone with the Wind than any other movie in movie history. And, and that, that probably is never going to, that is never going to uh, change. Good right. pick. My number two, uh, I'm going back to 1963, July 4th, 1963, The Great Escape, John Sturge's Great Escape opens uh, to me, a childhood favorite. This film, I did a revival of it a few years ago, and uh, it's just awesome. One of the great casts, I, I think to me, a perfect film. Direction, cast, assemble, Steve McQueen, James Garner, Richard Attenborough. Charles Bronson, James Colburn, Donald Pleasance. By the way, some a couple people have said recently that I look like James Colburn. Uh, I've also had some people say I look like Billy Bob Thornton. So yeah. I don't know if they I don't know if they look alike. And my mother said I had the uh, the face for radio, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, this is and, and a score by Elmer Bernstein. Steve McQueen's motorcycle jump uh, in the third act, simply iconic. I could watch this movie, never get tired of it. I love every frame of it. I think it's an absolutely perfect film. My favorite World War II film of all time. Would love, love to see this back in a theater in 1963. July 4th weekend, The Great Escape. Great movie. Well, I'm, I, and I took my time machine back to 1939 because not only am I going to see a movie, but two days after it opens is my mother's 20th birthday, so I can take her and see the movie. Somehow, if our time machine works the right way, and, that 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 uh, that's very thought provoking. But yeah, yeah. and this, this movie was not shot entirely in color, and probably okay. had the greatest use of the switch from color to black and white back to black and white because we only uh -huh. have color while she's in Oz or unconscious, as it might be, and that would be Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz. I want to be there because this is the first really big movie because it was out a few months before Gone with the Wind to really feature because color, even though it had been around since 1902, it was very uh -huh. expensive. And to see, the, to see it in color, because the colors in that movie are amazing, as you know, on the big screen, but also to have heard somewhere over the rainbow, never having heard it before, in a theater filled with people. I bet you got applause at the end of that song. Uh, I would almost guarantee that would be an absolute fact. So that's my number one, Wizard of Oz, 1939. I can't argue that is a uh, that is a, a great pick. You know, that's what they call timeless. You know, 1939 uh, just feels like it was shot yesterday. Uh, the purity, the entertainment, the Judy Garland, just incredible in that movie. Uh, number one to me, you know, we would have been. I'm not going to mention the Beside Adventure because that would that would always be my go-to. And I'm doing as as we speak. Uh, I'm about. Six hours away from watching this, watching the Beside Adventure on a big screen with about thirty people, 
that uh, my some of my employees and some people I know in the area are going to come out and, and watch it on the big screen. I bought some food, so uh, I'm actually excited for that. But as a counter move to that, my number one would be I would love to go back to 1974. I remember the anticipation I had waiting to see this. I didn't see it in this opening weekend because it wasn't in my neighborhood as of yet. It opened in New York City, and I remember going – to the, to, to the newsstand, and I always love to see the full-page ads in the movie section, in the middle of the section. The Towering Inferno, uh, one of the great star pairings of all time, and Paul Newman and Steve McQueen. After the Poseidon Adventure, how much I love that film, I could not wait to see Erwin Allen's next movie. And this movie delivered in spades, even bigger in scope than the, than the, the Poseidon Adventure. Again, like that film, great cast. The movie delivers, directed by John Hillerman, Gillerman, who did, I think, a fantastic job juggling the egos of two of the megastars of its day. But the effects all uh, practical, a lot of them done with upscale miniatures. Uh, this movie delivered, I, I just simply adored watching this movie in a movie theater, and I'd love to recreate that one more time to go back in 1974, watch The Towering Inferno on the uh, big screen with a big crowd. And I can't imagine the big crowds that saw this film and how, because uh, you didn't see stuff like this uh, on, on the big, this was truly a spectacle movie and, and the stunt work, uh, everything about it was terrific. And especially the performance of Steve McQueen who took a very good movie and made it great by his uh, 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 just star power in this film. So Towering Inferno would be my, my number one. It's just a good list, Ken. Yeah, well, we, we, we've been able to, we did 21 different movies. That's pretty good. We do not, that, that, we don't overlap very much. I, I don't know how much, I don't think we're going to have a lot of time for our yeah. uh, 2023 preview. You got five uh, minutes. We've got five minutes, so we'll, we'll, we'll start, and then next week we'll continue. Uh, that, that good, good, uh, good, good list, that, that was a lot of fun. Um, getting into January at the box office, I do see, I got a good feeling about this. There's a movie called Megan, and, uh, and it's about an animatronic doll that this house uh, household gets to befriend, to have friends with their daughter who needs to make friends. And what happens to animatronic dolls? Well, they go bonkers and they become violent and they start killing, uh, killing people. And it's just something really interesting about this trailer. It's not a new concept. They've done this sort of thing before, but the technology they're using here appears a little bit unique. Um, I got a good feeling. I think this movie, Megan, is going to do some business when it hits theaters on January 6th. You happen to catch a trailer of this, Ken? I have not. Okay. Uh, mark my words, this one's going to make a dent at the box office. Also, in January, Tom Hanks, I think you've heard of him, uh, he, he stars in a movie called The Man Called Otto. This is a remake of a foreign film. Hanks plays a grumpy old man who... Uh, befriends a young next-door neighbor and it changes his life yeah it feels a little bit paint by numbers but it's it's tom hanks and uh hopefully the more sophisticated crowd is going to show up to this one you see a trailer of this one i did and that one was also on my list that i want to okay. see now the next one in january is not in theaters it's going to be exclusively on peacock because it appears jennifer lopez has sold a soul to peacock like she did with the last movie, Marry Me. Uh, I'm just kidding. But yeah, this will be straight to Peacock. It's called Shotgun Wedding. Uh, Jennifer Lopez and Josh Dumal. Uh, January 27th. The trailer looks a little bombastic, but it does feel like it has some uh, decent entertainment value. Now, February, M. Night Chalamet's newest movie, Knock on the Door. 
uh, opens. Pretty interesting trailer. Uh, doesn't give away a lot. It's just his initial premise. If it's M. Night, it's going to have some sort of twist. Dave Batista, who plays Zack the Destroyer in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, former WWE wrestler, he's really made a massive dent in, in film, and, he, and he's really stabilizing himself as having a pretty good uh, feature career. You have any thoughts on Dave Batista? I don't, actually. Okay. Now, on February 7th, 80 for Brady. Uh, look at this cast. It's about a group of elderly women who want to meet Tom Brady, who they idolize at a Super Bowl. Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Sally Field, Rita Moreno. Uh, how much did they pay these women? Uh, I mean, I mean, I watched. Oh no, they're, they're doing it. They're doing. They're doing it for free just to meet Tom Brady. Probably. I actually uh, had. It, I, I actually had that on my list to see because even though it'll be silly, it'll be funny. Uh, silly. Here's a question. Is anybody going to show up to a movie theater to see this film? No. Mm, no. I don't think so. Uh, may, may, okay. Maybe at the Pocono Cinema. Mm, may, Only because maybe, of the actresses. Maybe, pre, maybe pre-COVID. I don't think yeah, post-COVID. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. okay. February 10th, Magic Mike, The Last Dance. Uh, Chatham Tating, Selma Hylek. I think this one's going to be good. And I think this will make a dent for Valentine's Day weekend. I got a good feeling about it. Uh, February 17th. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Paul Rudd, who I love, and Angelina Lilly, who I like a lot. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, uh, February 17th. The big Marvel movie. They say the scope is big. Um, it's going to make a dent in the box office, Ken. It's a superhero movie with the very likable Paul Rudd. What do you think? I think it'll do better than Magic Mike. Because I, I really don't... I do. No, I, it will. It will definitely do better I, than Magic I, Mike. I don't see Magic Mike as a as a Valentine's Day movie only because you don't want to take your girlfriend to see Magic Mike. If you Maybe have any, not. if oh, you have no, any, watch it. no, they will watch it. They, I think they will watch it. Oh, they, no, they'll, they'll watch it. But you know, just, just as you try to, <laughs> you try to compensate because every week you tell us about your big screen TV, people are going yes. to be upset. that Magic Mike has a really big screen TV. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yes, I don't know if you saw the trailer of this one. But this one it looks so insanely insane that I think it's going to have a cult following. If it's if it's good, it's created a lot of internet buzz. It's called Cocaine Bear, and it's a. I think it's based on a true incident about a big bear in the woods that gets gets his snort in 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 a, in a bag of cocaine that that fell out of a helicopter, and he does some crazy stuff. And the trailer is just going for off the wall crazy antics. And I say to myself, and it's being released by Universal, which is a major studio. A little bit edgy stuff to release uh, for a studio to release a movie about a bear who's snorting cocaine. But if you watch a trailer, it has cult appeal, quote unquote, written all, all over it. I, you probably didn't see the trailer, but watch the trailer when this show ends. Uh, it'll make you scratch your head and probably laugh a little. So I, I will look. I will look okay. for the trailer, and we probably should save the rest of the year to next week, and there's some good stuff coming up. I agree. Any any thoughts rounding out to close the show, Ken? Uh, very, very quickly, if you haven't yeah. seen it, have you seen the series Into the Night on cable or on, on Netflix? Not. It's, it's an ma- amazing concept. Into the Night is a two-season series about the world getting wiped out by solar flares or whatever mm-hmm. and they, they people keep they keep flying in an airplane to keep trying to outrace the s- sun but you get you die if you're really? there when the sun's up but the amazing thing is when it ended there's a one season turkish series called yeah. s245 which is under the water 
It's a submarine series. The two series are actually related and intersect. And it's and then they go, will all come together for the fourth season. But it's totally amazing concept. Two different countries, two different casts, two different languages. But they, they actually interplay during their series. You don't realize until you see the second series what the Turks are doing. It just, well, if you get a chance, look into it. Into the Night and S245. Thanks for the information. And uh, as always, Ken, it's been a pleasure to the audience. Uh, our weekly podcast. Thank you very much for listening. The Whoa Whoa audience, we love you. And the audience from WXPM Cool 98.5. Everybody take care. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Movie Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts by Federated Media.